2: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Our guest today, Natalie Goldberg, is a writer, painter, poet, and Zen practitioner whose book, Writing Down the Bones, first published in 1986, has sold over one million copies. We last spoke with Natalie to discuss her book, Three Simple Lines, a writer's pilgrimage in the heart and homeland of haiku. Her new project, Writing Down the Bones Deck, 60 Cards to Free the Writer Within, is a collection of writing topics. She prefers the word topics to prompts, and we'll find out why in a moment. Uh, But it's a collection of writing topics to trigger your writing. So it's a very practical tool. So Natalie Goldberg, welcome back to the Spirituality and Health podcast.
1: Thank you so much. This is fun.
2: Yes, I love talking with you. I am... You know, I've read everything uh, that you have, I, including the, the, your painting book. And so I, I am a big fan. And I want to begin, because we've talked before and because we've talked a lot about the standard things that maybe a lot of interviewers ask you about, I want to deal with some things that hopefully will be new for you, or at least somewhat fresh. And I wanted to ask about the difference between being a writer writing. So let me phrase it this way. I wanted to be a published writer, and that's what I mean by writer, published writer. I should have said it that way. I wanted to be a published writer since the seventh grade. Each week in English class, we're assigned a list of new vocabulary words and told to write a sentence for each one. I would spend hours honing my sentence, not to (laughs) demonstrate my understanding of the word, but to demonstrate my mastery of the form of the sentence. I wanted to be this published writer, and writing is how I was going to do that. Reading your books on writing and the writing life, I get the sense that writing, the process itself, matters more to you than being a published writer. Is that fair?
1: That's absolutely true. And writing is a dynamic practice that's alive. And being a writer is a noun, and it's frozen. I actually know a lot of writers who've written books, and it wasn't as pleasing as they thought it was. It was actually a little disappointing. And it's not under, it's sort of writing is the river under, that you just keep going back to it. When I finish one book, I usually go on to another one. I don't reread my published books, because it's about- Oh, that's
2: interesting.
1: Oh, I couldn't yeah, fail I've, it. I, I, I
2: couldn't. No, me either. I've never reread anything I've written unless I have to give a talk and look something up. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So, And that's to, because it's old already. It's,
1: it's old. It was
2: yesterday's. It's,
1: yeah. It, it, you know, writing is a dynamic, fluid river. And it moves. And it's alive. And it meets your mind wherever you are.
2: So what about rewriting?
1: Well, rewriting, I usually handwrite everything. I don't use a computer. And, but I do have someone who types it up. And uh, they put three spaces in between. And then I do editing. Like I'll read and then I'll say, oh, this needs to be developed. I'll put a little A with a circle. And on a separate piece of paper, I'll say, go write more about that banana. So I always come back to the river of writing because it's much more dynamic and alive that if I sit there, banana, soft, yellow, you know, I'll be there for three hours trying to find five words for banana. So I always come back to the dynamic of writing practice.
2: So if I'm hearing you right, I think you and I share the same view. Rewriting is equally dynamic. It's it's yes. picking up the flow of what's on the page and then going wherever that takes you.
1: Yes, and deepening it. I think of editing yeah. as deepening and coloring it in more, <laughs> you know, so it's more vivid.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. It's total sense to me. I think a lot of people think that, Rewriting is just a chore. And for me, it's it's actually more fun than the original writing.
1: Yeah, it's all pleasurable. And I want to say sometimes it's hard. My last book, Three Simple Lines, I didn't know what I was doing till the last month that I was working on it, and I worked on it for three years. So it's also pleasurable when the energy is really moving and you're doing it regularly. But if you haven't been at it for a while, It's like any other physical activity. Your muscles need to get fluid again.
2: I I love the idea that it's pleasurable and it's hard. These are not mutually exclusive. Exactly. So yeah, there's. If you're really writing, then the difficulty is part of the pleasure. It's just. It's all. It's all one thing. You mentioned that you do it longhand, uh, and I know someone's going to be going. Well, what does she use? A pencil? A pen? You know? How do you? So. Use a pen. What's your You use a pen. I use a
1: pen. I can read you. Unfortunately, I said, I don't remember what kind of pen. I think I put a Schaefer ink pen in writing down the bones. And then within a week after it got published, I discovered these Precise V7 black pens. And I use them as a pilot pen. But really, you should go to... Do they have stationary stores anymore? And try different pens. What feels good to you? Not only in its fluidity, but in its weight and weight in your hand. These are your tools. And then I always have a cheap spiral notebook. And I usually go to drugstores, even in many times in small towns, and see what they have on sale spiral notebooks, because I'm still looking for the spiral notebooks I used to buy 50 years ago when they were a lot cheaper.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I got a gift years ago. My son bought me a beautiful leather-bound blank journal that I was supposed to use for my writing. I've never, I I, I can't put anything in it. It's like too serious. Yeah, it's too it's- no it's got to oh. be perfect or I'm ruining this journal
1: yeah yeah <laughs> but well, the
2: pen was in, the pen is interesting because it reminds me of like t- in tea ceremony when you the the tea mistress or tea master gives you the cup and you have to turn it around to find just the right place from which to sip the tea I think of the pen the same way you have to turn it around and around and get a real feel for it is this Write from, from my hand. Is that, yeah. that, that seems to me what yeah. you're saying?
1: Yes, but don't linger on it too much because it's so easy <laughs> to divert yourself from writing and, oh, I don't have the right pen. Right, or, that's true. You know, finally you just have to shut up and do it.
2: <laughs> that's right. Uh, so let's talk about the deck and let's start with why you prefer topic to prompt.
1: Oh, Prompt, I don't know where prompt came from. Most people use it and I can't stand it. It's like putting nails against um, a blackboard for me because a prompt prompt sounds like prompt, prompt, prompt. Whereas a topic, topic is seductive. Um, Oh, give me a topic and I can roam in it and wander, which is exactly what you do in writing practice. You're given a topic but everybody's mind goes different places and wanders and finds new things. So you could use the same topic over and over again. I just like it. So It, get, it connotes something to me much more broad and large and, you know, and full.
2: Yeah, you know, once you've been prompted and you did it, you're done. Yeah. But if the topic, the topic can be understood in different ways. The interesting thing about the card deck is on one side of the card, you have the topic. And then on the flip side, it's, I don't know, the way I, I experienced it was like, okay, you're giving me the topic on one side. And then you're just whispering something to me like, okay, this is sort of what it's about. You know, not, not the topic, but uh, let let me read you an example, and then the question I okay. want to ask you is: What were you trying to do with the with the commentary, of, or you know, the flip side? So the uh, the topic side says, "What are you reaching for?" Go ten minutes, or make your response as a list: one thing, one attribute, one person after another down the line. What are you reaching for? And then you flip it over, you read the commentary.
1: Go ahead, don't be shy. Reach for the moon for both the possible and what you think is impossible. Be honest and step up. This is how you build a strong spine and understand your trajectory, your desire, where you are going. Sure, in a year you might change directions, but right now, where in your heart are you yearning and aiming? Don't be vague or abstract. What I'm doing here, first of all, the um, book has been out for 35 years and I have done nothing. I've just left it out there. But I know a lot of people don't read. And also, I've been trying any angle I can to get people to write because it's so terrific. So I put the topic on one side, but they're not with me. So this is not necessarily what I would say if I threw out a topic. I'd let you write. But I would encourage, too, because people get frozen, beginners particularly. You know, what are you reaching for? And I could see someone freezing and saying, I'm reaching for the bread in the bread, you know, box. I'm reaching for my apple. And that's it. So I'm, what, for beginners particularly, I'm saying, go ahead. Don't be shy. Reach for the moon for both the possible and think about the impossible. Reach for something crazy. Reach for something you can never get. You know, so this is, in a way, it's Natalie prompting you on the back, (laughs) you know, pushing you a little further. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think I say in some of them, for instance, tell me about your wounds. I, I don't know if I have that there, but... A wound is, of course, I could say, well, I have a scar on my left elbow from hitting, you know, the ground when I fell off my bike. But you can also talk about inner wounds. So you learn through these cards how to get the best out of yourself by the topic, by what topics work that have more dynamism in it, you know, that you can go many directions. Yeah. And so I, with some of them, I explain the, why this topic. And so people get to understand because eventually to become a writer, you make up your own topics and you make up your own subjects that you want to write about. But this is kind of, you're building your muscles and you're understanding why this topic.
2: You know, w- when I was doing it myself, I felt, and when you read it, I think I felt it even more strongly that, okay, on the the, uh, topic side, it's pretty straightforward. In this case, what are you reaching for? You know, go 10 minutes. But then I felt like I was in a workshop, not that you do it this way, but I was in one of your workshops and this was the topic. And then you were walking around the room and you came up behind me and very softly you said, go ahead don't be shy, reach for the moon, you know? I was like, oh, okay, Natalie, thanks, you know? Yeah. It was a very personal whispering in my ear with the topic. I, this is, I think it's, the whole deck is very uh, effective.
1: I think that's, you have a good instinct around it. But the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, Bones has been out 35 years. It still has an incredible influence on people, and I wanted to just push it a little. But also the thing we're not mentioning is I'm getting old. I'm going to die. So before I die, I want to say again, come on now. Right. Go ahead. Do it. And so th- this is kind of a another emphasis before I go.
2: So how real is your opinion? impending death to you. I mean, do you see it?
1: It's very real. I'm not I'm in good health right now, knock on wood. I'd have had cancer, but I know I'm going to die and everybody else is going to die. As my father said, no one gets out of it. In the whole history of humanity, no one has gotten out of it. So I know that eventually even if I live till 95, I am going to die. And it's in my face right now. I'm 74. 70 was startling for me. And I, it's real. I want to be real about my life. And that's why I say, get going, all of you out there. We don't have forever.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly,
2: So in what way was 70 startling?
0: Because I never thought I'd get to
1: 70. 70 sounded old. There was no way around it. <laughs> when, you know, you, they ask you how old you are and you say 70. It just sounds old and people think it's old. And it is the gateway to old age.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've forgotten who said this, but and I want to say it's Barbara Klinghoffer, but I'm not sure. But somebody said something like, now I'm old enough to die. Oh, you know. In other words, if you're dying in your sixties, oh, you're so young. Oh, if you die, yeah. you know, with a seven or an eight or a nine in front of your number, it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. I, I'm in my seventies also, and I suddenly start looking at the obituaries in the newspaper just to see, oh, I beat that guy.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> I do that. I don't think I'm
2: going to make it as long as she did. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange thing.
1: The other thing that I do now is when I go to art museums, and I really love to go to art museums, I look first thing, the dates of the artist, how long they lived. I never did that before. How long has they, have they lived? Yeah. And I'll tell you, the visual artists have not lived very long.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's one of the, what is it, five remembrances of the Buddha? Is it five or four? One of them being, you know, I'm going to die. There's no way I can escape from dying. You know, that, that kind of thing. You yeah. say those every day, just to remind yourself of your mortality. And so now what? Okay, I'm gonna die. Now, what do I do before that uh-huh. happens? Cause it, it could happen in five minutes. Yeah. So I wanna talk to you about, I'm gonna go back to the, the deck, go back to writing and, and talk to you about language in general and the way Zen plays into your writing, or your writing plays into your Zen experience, your Zen practice, I mean, I, I continue to read books about Zen. Much easier to read books about Zen than to actually practice Zen. So I read books about it. And I just finished this one by a fellow named Gun Gu, Korean I, I'm pretty sure he's Korean, uh, Zen teacher. And the book is called "The Essence of Chan." So, maybe it's Chinese, actually, not Korean. But anyway, it's called The Essence of Chan. And in the book, he writes about the Bodhidharma's supposedly, the Bodhidharma's fourfold definition of Zen, which is paradoxical just to have a definition of Zen. But the idea that uh, Zen is a transmission outside of doctrine, beyond words and language, directly pointing to the mind and seeing one's true nature. And, you know, As someone who's, I mean, Katagiri Roshi, your Roshi encouraged your writing. As someone whose practice includes writing, let me just put my comment on your work on the table. My sense is that you don't go beyond words and language. You go through words and language, but you don't get hung up on words and language.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, and that comment about goes beyond language and stuff. That was the Southern Chinese, this Southern school. And uh, a lot of Zen people get caught on that and believe that words are not important. But really, how is the work transmitted? All the sutras and Dogen,
2: yeah.
1: he didn't shut up. <laughs> and, you know, it's what, it. you know, and it's also making one thing better than another and and value, you know, making values. And, you know, I think that I was lucky enough to study with Katagiri Roshi who didn't do that. And I didn't get caught up in that. And I just, you've got to go where your passion is with what you love and keep that alive. But at the same time, it's hard because you get very attached and all of that. And you have to keep stepping back and letting it move through you. Writing does writing and you get out of the way.
2: Yeah. And one of the things I learned from you is, and you mentioned it just a little while ago, is being specific. Mm-hmm. You know, don't say there's a car parked out front. Say it's, you know, I don't know, 1970 Buick. Buick something. Yeah. Old. Right. So. That always struck me as, I'm going to say Taoist, I don't know why I'm using that term, but it's Taoist in the sense that it's really in touch with nature. The the Buick is as much a part of nature as the stone or a tree. And and so you want to be as particular as you can because you're dealing with an actual uh, object or a, a happening that's taking this form of a Buick. And in that sense, there is no being trapped in, because it's not an abstraction. How does that strike you?
1: That, I think that that's true, and I think that we manifest in the in the world, moment to moment. You know, grounded in chair, vase, candlestick, hand, and sometimes people get very airy fairy in a, the abstract world. And of course, it's in some ways it's easier, and it's an escape, but it's not as alive. The real life is in things, and not just things, human beings and trees. It's all. But I love what you said about a Buick being the na- You know, the same as a tree. In um, Zen, all things are sentient beings. This clock in front of me, my pen.
2: All are beings. I think that's hard for people to, to grasp, but absolutely true. Well,
1: if you start grasping it, it will really help you. So you have kind consideration for the carrot you're cooking, the way you slice it, and the way you have a napkin. You know, and there, I can take a book and throw it down, or I can take the book and honor it and place it down on the table. It's a very different action.
2: Yeah, and the same thing with the pen you're using when you're doing writing. There's a a gratitude that comes when you realize the pen is a sentient being. I think that's very true. One of the things I was thinking Mm -hmm. of as I was going through the deck and looking at your other work and preparing to talk to you this afternoon was, and I know I, last time I did this too, too, I bring up the Jewish stuff because I know we're both Jewish. And uh, in, in Hebrew, the word for thing and the word for word are from the same root. Aww. So when God creates the world, he does it through, of course, he, I mean, that's just the myth, but when God creates the world, God in, in the story uh, creates it through language. God speaks and the world comes to be. That the entire universe is living language and that when we really enter into speech, which is again from the same root as thing and word, when we enter into speech or we enter into writing, it can be, because the world itself is a linguistic construct, it can be a way to move into the world and then without getting caught by the thing, but move into it, move through it and into the greater reality of which in which it arises. Is that speak to you at all?
1: Yes, it does speak to me. And really, you can't leap, you know, from here, the ground up to heaven. You process. For instance, everything is specific. You're born in a certain place with a certain parent at a certain time. You die specifically You don't just die generally and disappear. You die at a certain time, a day, a place, lying down, hopefully, not hit by a car. But it's all specific. The world is specific. And when you meet that specificity, the world opens in a bigger way. But not otherwise. When I'm sitting zazen, which I'm actually doing six periods a day for the entire month of January, I am sitting still with my hands on my lap in a certain mudra. My knees hurt. My back is tight but straight. It's all there. And then through that, I have sometimes openings, and sometimes I just want to scream but it's alive.
2: This is just personal choice on your end or this is not part of a... No,
1: I'm at Ukiah Zen Center for the month of January. They're doing a, a retreat and I'm doing it with them. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Wow, yeah, that, that is intense. I haven't done that in a very long time.
1: I know, it's um, wonderful. I was a little nervous and stuff, yeah. but I'm just loving it. I'm sitting in a little chair, but believe uh, me, when you're sitting still in the chair, things start hurting.
2: Oh, ab- absolutely. When I do zazen in a chair, I use one of those lazy boy chairs.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh.
2: So that's not, that, I'm, I'm joking, but that, that is not the kind of chair you're talking about. But let's talk about zen a little bit in the context of uh, the writing down the bones deck. Because, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording, my experience with the cards, not the commentary, not, not the personal stuff that you put on the backside, but on the front side of the card, the topic itself, I heard them as koan, uh-huh. and I want to get your take on that, and, but first I need you to describe or to define koan for us.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, koan is difficult to describe. I'll, I'll give you, okay, the one that everybody has heard of. What's the sound of one hand clapping? Huh? <laughs> huh? You can't, and it gets your curiosity, but you feel like it's ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. It's not going to come out of the answer. It's not going to come out of your logical mind. And mostly you demonstrate a koan. You don't say, well, the sound of one hand clapping is bomb. You know, you demonstrate it just like you demonstrate a story. You don't just say, oh, I really fell in love. You tell the details of the story of how you fell in love. So in a way, when you demonstrate, go into the Zen teacher and demonstrate, you show, don't tell your answer. But they're not going to come from your logical mind, and they usually don't come very quickly. I spent about five years working on one koan, and just this past autumn, it came to me. Yeah. I but every day when I would sit, I'd I think I'd I'd bring it up, and I think that's it. And the next morning, I'd say, "Oh, come on, Natalie, that's not it." And then. One day it just opened. I just was sitting and it just opened.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting when the whole process.
1: Yeah, you're not, they don't come all of a sudden. Though they do come all of a sudden. You have to plant, the, the, you know, you have to fertilize.
2: Right, it takes five years for it to come all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh-huh. So, yeah, when I, my, my experience with Koan with Suzaki Roshi was. I mean, every time I went to see him in uh, Sanzen in personal interview, I would give him my most brilliant analysis of the koan. Uh-huh. And, you know, he would just mock me and throw me back into, into the, the zendo for meditation. But yeah, it's, but sometimes it ripens on, on its own and then something happens, which is what I'm getting at with the, the writing down the bones deck. I mean, it, it's, I I mean, you pick up a card, you read the topic and you write, you know, ink on paper, no thinking. That's how I I saw them as koan. It was just question, response, you know, don't let the mind get in the way. Topic, hand to paper, Uh, don't let the mind get in the way. And and in that sense.
1: Yes, that's it. Go. (laughs) Yes.
2: Right. Go. Which brings me to how I want to close our conversation because we're really out of time. I'm not going to do it in the usual way. I'm going to explain this to you and explain it to our listeners so they can get ready. What I'm going to do, I'm going to close the show in a way that really requires the participation of all of you who are listening. So this is what I'm going to, what I'd like you to do. So in a moment, I'm going to read the standard close that we use for this podcast. Thank Natalie for being here. And that would normally cue the music and that's the end of it. But instead, after I read that close, Natalie, I want you to pick a card out of the deck and read one topic aloud to the audience. No commentary, just the topic. Okay. And that is the koan from Natalie to you. So listen to what she says, grab a pen, and paper, and then write. Uh, If you need a moment to go get pen and paper. So I'm going to give you a moment now, and I'm just going to. We'll talk about something just to give you a couple of minutes to grab something to write with. And then we're going to bring the uh, show to a close. And and I want to just end, you know, talk to you, Nellie, about something personal while people are getting their pen and paper. I got to tell you, it is always such an honor to talk with you. I I have been, you know, a student through your books forever since Writing Down the Bones came out. And I mean, I've talked to you a couple of times personally on the phone and through email just don't really know me, but I don't know, (laughs) you were gracious enough to just talk to me. So I want to thank you for all of that. You've really had a tremendous impact on my writing, on writing, you know, for probably millions of people at this point, and especially the way you really encourage us to write true while avoiding the abstract. I, I just think your gifts to those of us who are putting pen to paper it cannot be uh, really adequately expressed. I mean, it's just amazing stuff that you've done. So I'm not going to ask you to respond to that. Just let that gratitude sink in and we're going to close the show. So hopefully you have a listener, you have pen and paper. I'm going to wrap this up. Natalie, if you're going to grab a card, close out with the topic, the koan. Our guest today, Natalie Goldberg, is the author of The Writing Down the Bones Deck. You can learn more about her work at www.nataliegoldberg.com. And take a look at the original book from, that sort of sparked this one, Writing Down the Bones itself, that was written you know, so many decades ago. Still fresh, powerful, and definitely worth reading. Natalie Goldberg, thank you for talking with us on Spirituality and Health Podcast.
1: Write a farewell letter.
2: You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at Spirit Health Mag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.